School to season two. I can say that officially because we are an official podcast. This is season two of the People of PS podcast. I'm Mark Carlton, head of school at Presbyterian School, and uh, we begin today with uh, someone new to Presbyterian School to our community. Uh, very excited for you all to meet Jessica Varela, who is joining us as our head of lower school this year. Um, Jessica has been uh, at Presbyterian School and in Houston <laughs> for about <laughs> three months, I think, came from uh, the Lamplighter School in Dallas. And so as we tend to do, Jessica, first question is a softball. Uh, Five-minute autobiography. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How do you find yourself sitting here on the People of PS podcast? Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and um, you know, find myself here in Houston now for, I think, maybe two months, honestly, just over. Um, I have... Married to Jason, got two small kiddos, Jack, pre-K four, and Juliet, who's 18 months. Um, went to the University of Kansas, Jayhawk. So they they did. I know you were a little bit cynical about their victory, but I mean they did win. This big big football victory. Yeah. Anytime they win. Right? Anytime they win. Yeah. <laughs> Basketball season, different story. Correct. Um, and graduated and moved to Washington D.C where I met my husband and went to graduate school, George Washington, and lived out there for about nine years before moving to Philadelphia. So let me interrupt, because yeah. you, so you did not graduate from the University of Kansas uh, with a degree that was going to lead you to teaching. That's correct. So you went to D.C. to be in the finance world, is that right? Actually, I went to be in the nonprofit world. Okay. So I graduated with a degree in sociology, was really interested in... Um, kind of justice and um, tried to find a position maybe in the government or with a local nonprofit in DC that was focused in that direction. Um, couldn't find a job. <laughs> so ended up working for um, a finance organization, ended up working at um, Smith Barney, Citigroup Smith Barney back then it was named. And we kind of worked there for 18 months, got my feet wet in finance, and they offered me a job to be um, an analyst for the investment bank. Wow. And I just saw the investment bankers that I worked for working 12-hour days, and I thought, gosh, it's very flattering, but I feel like there's another way I could be using my 12-hour days. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I went to, um, I applied for a job at an organization called the International Justice Mission. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in some of the things they were doing, so I went to work for them for a while. And what I found while I was working there was I was really interested in policy, but I was kind of on the back side of the organization. So I wasn't in like the front lines of um, you know international justice. I was working on policy writing, very interesting work, but not compelling me to do more. So what I felt like I wanted to do was get experience in the field. And in this particular organization, the lawyers were the people who had experience in the field, and I wasn't going to get my law degree. But I was really interested in being in the front line. So um, that's when I 
thought about education. And so I thought about education policy versus being in the classroom. And what I found out about myself is that I really wanted to be in the front lines mm -hmm. in the classroom. So that's when I decided to go back to get my master's in education um, and found myself thinking, okay, I'm going to teach you know, for eight years and then I'm gonna switch and transition and work for the Department of Education or work in policy making organizations. And I just loved teaching so much that I could never imagine stepping outside of the classroom arena uh, to do the kind of the back end work. So. so what was your what was your first teaching job? What grade level did you teach? Taught third grade for Alexandria City Public Schools. Um, just loved it. Lovely school. Um, did that for a few years and then um, when we moved to Philly, I taught at a um, Montessori school. So I did the three through six-year-old Montessori classroom for an independent school outside of Philadelphia. So then, so you're you're teaching outside of Philly. Yep. Uh, and then, how did you how did you wind up at Lamplighter? Um, actually, so we were happy in Philly, and then um, my dad had a heart attack. So the winter after we got married and we were living in Philly kind of had um, I got a call on a Saturday that my dad was in the hospital and my mom had performed CPR oh. on him he had kind of passed out at the house and the, she brought him back and they took him to the hospital and there was like a real come to Jesus moment I think for my husband and I about just how far we were away from our family and I guess I remember just calculating like how many more times if I saw my parents twice a year for the next however many years, how many times I'd actually get to see them. And I thought that just can't be. So we made it through, he's fine. Um, fortunately, he was in the ICU for about 13 days. And um, you know, this was actually one of my husband's, I think more spiritual moments was seeing our family kind of plead with the Lord on my father's behalf. But um, yeah, he amazing, made amazing turnaround. Um, we stopped to keep him on track for a lot of other health issues, but he's, he's doing great. Um, but I think we decided to make a move closer to my family who were in Tulsa. So we said, okay, whatever. He started looking for jobs, my husband did, in, in Dallas. We said, we're not, we're not moving to Tulsa. We do have our limits. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was the Tulsa native with the disparaging comment about yeah. Tulsa. You're, you're Sorry, it's a that, great right? town. I love to visit. <laughs> it's up and coming for sure. Um, <laughs> we moved to Dallas. And then, um, so I kind of, you know, rallied my contacts in the independent school world and from George Washington and found a great little school, um, another ISAS school. Yep, yep. And Lamplighter's a K to four. K to four, uh, pre-K four, yeah. Yep. Well, so um, the conversation about your dad, uh, I know that uh, there's, a, there's a great story that I want you to tell at some mm. point about uh, a, a risk that he you know, facilitated for you. But I feel like your dad is a, has been a mentor for you. So some of the, one of the things that we talk about in the podcast is just mentors in your life. So, uh, you know, we're all kind of in education. We're in the mentoring business, right? Sure. So, yeah, tell us about a couple of mentors that have helped you find yourself here. Absolutely, yeah. I you know my dad has been influential in both my faith. So he um, grew up a child of uh, Methodist pastors, and he himself is a pastor. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in as far as leading our family spiritually, he's always um, been kind of, our, our spiritual leader and you know remains kind of one to this day for me and then also he's just been a big proponent of um, kind of supporting whatever crazy ideas I've had and um, the one that 
you know, you were referring to, Mark, was um, I was in high school and, you know, Friends, the TV show was really popular, as was up-and-coming Starbucks. And we in Tulsa had not had our first Starbucks yet. Um, so we had other coffee houses, um, but none of them were as cool as, as the one on Friends. And so <laughs> me and my girlfriend from high school were like, you know what, we are going to, we're going to make a place where all of our friends can hang out. So we put together a business plan, and we said we are gonna, you know, get a coffee shop together. And, and you were so this is your senior year. This in high is school. my senior year of high school. Yeah, just before, just before starting my senior year of high school, and I was already set to gr- to graduate early and do some community college classes and things, and um, so I had you know maybe some time to kill. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so we we presented this to my dad, and my dad was like loved it. So he was a huge, you know, he loves music, like big music guy, big concert guy. And so we kind of weaved in an aspect of we could have live music at this coffee shop also, um, a la Phoebe, you know. Um, <laughs> and so he was like, this is going to be amazing. So he helped us, um, you know, secure a small business loan. And um, yeah, we, you know, he, he helped us start this coffee shop, which we ran as seniors in high school. <laughs> so did, did you, did you, um, Graduate early. Yeah, and so de- graduate early, and then you know, yeah, devoted the rest of my time to late nights at the uh, at the loft coffee that, shop. It's called the loft. The loft okay. coffee shop. Yeah. And ha- so, how long did you do that? I mean, did you did you put off college to run the loft? So we did. I did a little, um, yeah, community college time, and then my good friend, when I went off to Kansas, um, she took over the majority of the the managerial role of of the coffee shop, and you know, we we ended up selling it for parts uh, about two and a half years later, having never broken out of the red, but <laughs> it was really great. Yeah. So that's a, that's what I, and you, so your dad takes the sort of the risk on you, right? And, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, what is there, is there something that you still think about from that experience that you really, a, a great lesson that you learned from that experience? No, I do. I appreciate the risk that my dad has always wanted and been willing to take. Um, and when I, you know, said I was going to move to Washington, D.C. after I graduated, he was, with no job and you know zero friends and family just kind of like okay yeah we can make that happen let's do it and you know he kind of rallied the troops for me um so there is that part of it that's just always stuck with me and kind of makes me feel the same way towards others like how can i you know rally troops around someone else or in education around your kids um and help them want to be able to take calculated risks um for themselves yeah, no, that's that's it's uh, one of the founding educational objectives of the school is that we want our kids to be sure enough in who they are and what they believe that they'll take risks, you know, developmentally appropriate yeah. risks, right? <laughs> so, um, so I had the privilege of talking in the in our uh, hiring process for you uh, with, I think, several of your other mentors yeah. who served as references. So, um, you know, choose choose one. They all had, you know, wonderfully great things to say about you. So choose one of those folks more. I guess closely related to your work in education. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I went, moving to Dallas, working at the Lamplighter School. I had um, a head of lower school that really became kind of like a, a second mom to me. You know, um, just thinking about the care that she took in developing me as um, you know in leadership, really kind of pushing me towards what leadership looked like in each area of education. Um, and that could be leadership in the classroom, you know, which was one thing she she did off the bat. Her name is Vicki Rainey, and she's um, just a gem of a, a person. She retired just um, two years ago, and 
even in the six years I was there, just made such an impact on my life professionally. So she encouraged me to take leadership steps in my own classroom with my students, but then also you know, showed me outside of the classroom what it looked like to be a leader in our school environment, what it looked like to be a leader in um, you know, the community around our school with other schools, and then even into like the educational sphere at large. So that meant putting myself out there to present at conferences or write articles or really believe that I had something to offer, which I think when you're kind of in your classroom just all day with the kids, you kind of forget that like maybe what you're doing is interesting Mm -hmm. and would be helpful to someone else. And so she really made a point, I think, of pointing those things out and getting me on the right trajectory and opened up a world of professional leadership um, that I feel like, you know, I might have pass me by mm-hmm. or um, or at least wouldn't have, have come as soon as as soon as she made it happen and um, yeah so I kind of was like wow this is so inspirational I really want to be able to do what she's doing for me for other teachers and that was kind of why I took those steps to be here today well and I know too just from talking to you getting to know you and and I think you've kind of hit on this even even in our conversation today is that along with the desire to sort of um you know, give to others. Uh, I think I think that's influenced by mentors, but I think it's also influenced by your faith. You've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about your dad's role in that, and and I know that that's something that appealed to you about Presbyterian school. Right. So yeah, so maybe talk a little bit about your your faith and the role that your faith plays in your leadership. I feel like there are kind of two aspects to it. One is um, just personal integrity. I think was something that was important to me, um, just has been, and. As I grew in leadership capacity at Lamplighter, I think that was one of the things that really was the bedrock of my leadership was integrity. And I think eventually people came to trust me in those roles because of my faith, even though at a school like Lamplighter, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't really the opportunity to be vocal about it, um, which was fine, but there was a very personal element to that. So I think in taking a next step, it was important to me to be able to um, kind of use that baseline as a jumping point for leadership. So being able to talk openly about my faith in the work environment seemed really appealing. Um, And, you know, even in just being here, it's so natural to incorporate my faith in God um, into what leads me to make the decisions that I make. Um, on behalf of others and and to help inspire other people. And I think, you know, in our talking, just having, you know, never really known about Presbyterian school in Dallas and and just kind of just kind of getting my feet wet in our conversations, I think that was something that really drew me mm-hmm. to school was not only the integrity I felt like existed here within the people that I talked to, but also that um, that joy that comes with having a shared, a shared faith yep. or vision. I, I love that. I, I don't know that I think enough about the kind of the connection between faith, lived faith, really irrespective of your, you know, denomination, or right. but but really a, you know, sincere embracing of lived faith and integrity, right? I think yeah. that's such a great that's such a great point. And I've, I mean, we have every every faith represented in the school, Christian and non-Christian, and I think what ultimately I. 
I, I hope draws people to the mission of the school is that integrity, which, which happens to be a core value. And I think it's one of the core values that's the hardest right. to articulate, especially to little guys, right? Um, but I love that. I love that you made that connection. I think that's, I think that's really, that's really good. Well, uh, talk about little guys. I mean, you mentioned Jack and Juliet. So, yeah. uh, Jack, uh, I've, I've gotten to know him a little bit, although he, as you have said, he's a man of few words. <laughs> so he's, uh, four, right? And then Juliet's 18 months. Uh, talk a bit about just, just, uh, I guess Jack's transition to new school mm-hmm. and then, you know, just sort of your young parents, uh, how that's, how that's been coming to Houston. Right. Um, yeah, our life is very full. <laughs> busy, busy is um, one word to describe it. Um, no, Jack is loving it, loving it here. And um, he did say, though, he, he asked me if it ever snowed in Houston. And I said, you know, well, it did once yeah, ever, but no. And he, so he goes, it's always just hot then. <laughs> I'm like, I think you're, think you're starting to catch on. It came at the right time. <laughs> right? right time. Um, hopefully we'll prove him wrong. But um, no, he's transitioning well. And honestly, it's been such a natural transition for us. Um, which is great. I think the kids are little and, and, you know, flexible. And so it's a great time for, for us to make this move. But also, we're so close to um, some other great things about Houston. So, um, you know, speaking of a mentor, I think, to me, just recently has been, um, you know, your wife, Laurel, who um, has kind of helped me get to know the medical community here in Houston. Um, so our daughter, Juliet, um, was born with a rare chromosomal abnormality in which she's missing part of her 10th chromosome. So so talk about just how rare, I mean, I'm learning about Juliet. That's, it's incredibly rare, isn't right. it? I think there's less than 100 documented cases. Um, e- and ever. Ever. Wow. Right. And that's for a variety of reasons. Um, and right now that's presenting as kind of global developmental delay. Um, so we're kind of uh, she's been explained to me as a flower that will bloom in her own time. <laughs> so we're just trying to plant the right kinds of soil around her. Um, which, you know, when we think about how kind of God has orchestrated our life, um, it's really, I think, just compels me to love even more because we're so close to things that we need that maybe we didn't know that we needed, mm-hmm. and maybe God did. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that, um, you know, we have s- lots of therapies we have to go to, um, specialists we need to see, and being able to have access to some of the top in the world right here um, has been just a really an amazing side bonus to what's already a great community. So, and then, um, you know, having Laurel and you two kind of um, as parents who have walked a road mm-hmm. um, in some ways similar to this, it's just so um, God, so kind of God to provide for us mm-hmm. in that way. Well, I would say this too. I mean, with Richard, um, the community here, uh, you know, has embraced us as a family. And like, I, I love this story. Like Richard, when we got here, was not walking and his Down syndrome, he has, you know, low muscle tone, but also, and I'm going to use air quotes here, they told us early on that sometimes children with Down syndrome lack motivation. (laughs) (laughs) And so he he could walk eventually, but he could not stand up on his own from a sitting position because of core, core strength. And I'll never forget the first time he did that, we were in the Grand Hall 
he was with me, and we were at play practice, our eighth grade play. And, you know, eighth grade, after school, there's some (laughs) rascals, to put it mildly, in there. And, you know, I was in there for crowd control, really. And all of a sudden, Richard, and they really knew that Richard was trying to do this. I've, you know, shared Richard with the with the community. Well, so he, he decided that was going to be when he stood up on his own from sitting position on the floor and they gave him a standing ovation. And, and he, of course, looked around like, what, what's the big deal, right? So I would say, I mean, I, and I know that you're very, you and, and Jay are very much on the front side of this, uh, you know, this journey, but this, this community certainly has supported us in that. And, and I do think like the, the medical community and in, I mean, in Presbyterian School, but certainly in Houston is really remarkable. So I appreciate you sharing that. So I got to say this last, last thing, and I want you to talk about this a little bit sp- kind of specifically. So when, when I interviewed Jessica, um, Laurel and I took her to dinner and, you know, trying to be, you know, sort of not the potential boss, but just, eh, you know, what are you doing in your free time? And you talked about this show that you were streaming that you loved, Ted Lasso and at the time I had not I'd heard about it but I had not watched it and so so Joe Carlgard who is on our board whom we featured last year talked on the podcast about Ted Lasso just very briefly it might have got cut I can't remember if he if we kept it but Ted Lasso has changed my life and I mean we may do a podcast just on Ted Lasso but do you want to talk a little bit about like um what what appealed to you because you were you were like you told us, you've got to watch this. You were adamant about it. So what about Ted Lasso is interesting to you? I loved Ted Lasso. We, we binged watched it and just couldn't get enough. I think there's something about it, and I think the culture at large is, is probably catching on too, is just the leadership style that Ted Lasso has. And it wasn't, it's not top down, it's not heavy handed, it's very much culture driven. And I think you know, I could even tell in our conversation, in our interview, just very casually, that this would appeal to you because it almost felt like the kind of culture that you would like to create and that you would like the people in leadership to create. And I think that's just um, very individual focus. So I think what Ted Lasso does is he really looks at each one of his players and thinks about how um, he can meet them where they are and then kind of encourage them to, to work as a team. And the way he does that, you know, is just so incredible. And I think, you know, people everywhere are kind of catching on to that. And then, of course, it's like his, you know, unending op- optimism. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that we've, I think in education, you just have to have like a continual optimism yeah. toward the future. No, I, th- I think I hadn't thought about it in those exact words, but like meeting, you know, he does really meets his players where they are, which is very much the mission of the school, right? Yep. That word each in the mission of the school. And I know that, uh, and I, when I was interviewing you, but also talking to your references, this was sort of something that came up over and over just about in your classroom, that word each really was important to you in your classroom. And so I guess sort of coming back to why you're, why you're here, right? So I think the, 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 challenge of moving from the classroom where you are a leader right into this you know more formalized role of leadership how do you how do you think um you know the best parts of you as a teacher will you know inform upon or influence the the part of you that's going to be a leader i think the like you said the each is just as important with students as it is with adults i think um you know we each want a leader 
who's going to tap into our strengths and support us in our challenges um, so that we continue to grow and develop too. And I think that's what's so great about good leadership is that they are willing to, to look at you as an individual and help you find that place for you in the organization. And I think the same thing happens in the classroom, um, which is just like kind of a micro situation to um, kind of the larger school in general. So I think taking that little bit and then applying it to you know, all of the faculty at PS, and especially in the lower school, um, is kind of one of my goals. Yeah, I think that's very well said. All right, so uh, I, I do know this about you as well. Friday night yeah. is eat out, Varela family eats out night that's without right. fail, and this is something that you brought with you from Dallas, is right. that right? Yep. So one of the things I love the best about Houston is a, it is a great food town. So I'll put you on the spot, and uh, without giving away your address, because we need to leave you alone, but I, yeah, I know you live you know, in, the, in the neighborhood, right? So what are the three maybe places that you and your family have been to eat that you feel like are like, very much you know, winning you over in Houston? Well, how about I answer it in a different way? But um, we are trying to try all of the fajitas. I think <laughs> I think that's like a subset goal of ours. So Friday dinners came around as mo- mostly a survival mechanism for us when we have small children to be like we're at the end of the week, like we're just gonna we need to get out. Um, but yeah, so now it's just how, how many different kinds of fajitas we, we can try and um, who's got the best one. So I okay. need to formulate my own opinion so I can I can tell you guys okay. where where I think the best so Mexican where, where, food. So where have you? So we've eaten at. Um, Lupe Tortilla. Okay. Um, Molinas. Okay. Uh, good Taqueria. Good, good company. Okay, good, good company, yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. And, gosh, I think that might be it for Mexican food at this point. Those are three strong. I, I think, I think you know, if, if we were in a, in a group, mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody might suggest that you go to Papacitos. Oh, we do. Oh, there we go. We went to That's Little Papacitos. Okay. Yep, so, there you go. So full disclosure. Uh, Carlton family, Camille Carlton, who is my my daughter, she's a senior in high school. Molina's only, Molina's so only. she would be really disappointed that you had gone somewhere else besides Molina's. So, <laughs> well, good, you're you're uh, you're you're doing the, you're doing the right thing. Listen, we are very excited that you're here. I um I think that uh, you know getting to know you through the process. I just think you're you just exude positivity. Your faith comes through in what in what you do and who you are, and and I can't wait for the the community to get to know you a little bit better. So thanks, thank you, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. So uh, we this is our first episode in season two, and I hope that you all will continue to join us. Uh, We have a full slate of folks. I think we're going to try to do this once a month. And uh, so Jessica, you've kicked us off very very well. So thanks for listening. (laughs) 